0: Do find your place in the Bible, the one hopefully you brought with you. If not, there's one in the pew. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we begin reading in verse 26. And follow along with me. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Picking up verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made. Behold, it was very good... There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, Lord, this is Your Word and we look to You. Would You shape our minds and hearts upon Your truth? Would You help us to think hard of what that truth means and how it should be applied in our lives in the midst of a broken world? Give us help to think Your thoughts after You, to act on those thoughts, to live them with integrity, truthfully, but also with your love and grace displayed. That's hard, but it's what you give us and enable us to do for Christ's sake. Amen. And so we're living in the middle of a clash of worldviews today, as I'm sure you're very aware. There is, first of all, the Christian view which begins with God and His Word, and believes that God has revealed in that Word and the world He's created His good and sovereign will for our lives. Then there's a secular worldview that denies God and repudiates His Word to build a system of belief based on man and really largely based on the self where I'm the measure of all things and I get to decide for myself what my truth will be. Probably nowhere is that distinction in worldviews more clear or urgent today than it is in this debate over transgender issues that we see swirling through our culture. And we're back to that vital issue in, in Psalm eight and elsewhere what is man? What does it mean to be a human being? How are we to understand our lives as we stand before God and what are we to teach our children? And that's really what I want us to emphasize this morning. How are we to raise our children in this confused and confusing world where some think that saying it's a boy at the birth of a son is a problem? And where grade school children are taught in some school systems that gender is fluid and they get to decide that some girls have and they go on to mention the male organ and some boys have and they mention the female organ. so let's begin, as we must, with the teaching of Scripture. God's Word is truth, Jesus said. So here we must see, first of all, not only the truth, but the beauty of the gender binary as taught in Scripture, that there is a man and there is a woman. And I say beauty because that really is what it is. When God chose to make us in His image for His glory, He chose to make us male and female. Again, verse 27, God created man, a more general term, in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. And then specific terms, male and female, He created them. That's not just an accident of evolution or a social construct people came up with later. It is, in fact, encoded in every cell of your body. Um, a popular TED talk by cardiologist uh, Paula Johnston said every cell in your body has a sex with the exception of your red blood cells every cell has a sex what that means is that men and women are different right down to the cellular and molecular level it means that we're different across all of our organs from our brains to our hearts to our lungs even down to our joints And that fact is central to God's good design to what each of us are meant to be. We're meant to be either male or we're meant to be female. You remember how when God finished His good work of creation, what did He say in verse 31? Oh, it's very good. So the first thing we need to remember is that it delighted God the Father with God the Son to make us male and female for our good. And that wasn't merely a matter of design alone in some mechanical kind of way. It was His gift to us. Your gender is His gift to you. Jesus affirms that in Mark 10, verse 6, when He says, "...from the beginning of creation God made them male and female." And then he goes on from there to describe how each gender complements the other, each needs the other as a man leaves father and mother and joins to his wife and these two become one flesh, quoting Genesis 2.24. Two beautiful parts of one humanity made in God's image, two parts that need each other and complement each other, two parts that are required for a biblical marriage and for children, two and no more than two. As Kevin DeYoung has written in an article I refer to in this morning's Pastor's Word, uh, the Bible knows no other gender categories besides male and female. While men and women in Scripture may express their masculinity and femininity in wonderfully diverse ways, Scripture still operates with the binary categories of men and women, and you are either one or the other. And that emphasis on the binary, and binary just means uh, two co-equal parts, that emphasis runs throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, not only does it run throughout Scripture, it is celebrated in Scripture as a vital part of God's good gift to us. So second of all, we see that the beauty of God's design in making us male and female is actually something that brings God great joy. Uh, Scholars note that verse 27 is the first poem in Scripture. The first song is God virtually sings His joy in creating us male and female. Now now think of that. It delighted God to make you male. It delighted God when He made you female. Uh, The joy of God in granting this gift in fact runs throughout this passage and indeed we find it running throughout the whole of the Bible so that we understand this is God's gift to you as a person made in His image, a gift that you and I are called upon to receive with joy and gratitude. Think of it. Young man, God delighted to give you a male body so that you could glorify Him as a male image bearer in ways that only a male image bearer can do. And it delighted God, young woman, to give you a female body so that you might glorify Him as a female image-bearer in ways only female image-bearers can do. And both of these, He said, are very good things. Third, the beauty of God's design in making us male and female is a reality He uses to bring us life. First, just the obvious. There would be no human people on planet Earth without the beauty of the binary. Again, this by God's design. Right after the creation event, He says, God blessed them, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. God wants to fill the earth with the beauty of His image bearers. But any guess how that's going to happen? He's not going to keep making people out of mud, breathing life into their uh, dead frames there on the ground Well, in case we can't figure it out, Jesus reminds us in Mark 10, verse 7, Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, cleaving to her, and the two of them shall become one flesh. Now be amazed at this. Be amazed at the beauty of God's design. God separates humanity into two different parts, male and female, then He brings them back together in marriage, one of each, and from that union The only union that can do so, He creates more image bearers. You know, if that wasn't something so common that you and I now take it for granted, you'd fall down in wonder every time you heard about it. In fact, we kind of do, don't we, when you hold a new baby in your arms. You're like, whoa, look at this! How'd this happen? Well, we know physically, but there's this reality This union of male and female designed by God and blessed by God is in fact the only union that can bear this good fruit. Every other combination, a man with a man, a woman with a woman, is sterile by definition, lifeless, because it misses the point. It can't be fruitful and multiply. It cannot bear this beauty because it does not bear this design. And so forth, this beauty of God's design is an anchor that helps us know our identity before God. God didn't leave it up to us to come up with our own brand of sexuality or to manufacture our own gender identities. He has revealed that to us very clearly in two places. The first one, what the, what the Reformers called the book of His Word, that is the Bible, but also they talked about the book of His world, that is His design and nature. And both of these reveal His design to us. His word speaks of male and female as central to His design and His world as He created us shows us that same design. As any farmer or any veterinarian who hasn't bought into um, a gender ideology can tell you. There is a reason why Noah led the animals two by two into the ark. Because that was the essential necessity. And we're... We're supposed to see that design both in His Word and in our own bodies and say, this is good. This is who I am by God's design. Which takes us into the second thing as we work toward how we teach this, how we understand it. And that is to understand then the deceptive philosophy at work today in gender theory and the confusion that it brings to many. One thing that we must always remember is that in a broken world, a world broken by sin, people are deceived. Sin, by its very nature, is a deceiver. By the way, that's true of all sin, isn't it? When you hold on to any sin, it distorts your view of reality. It blinds you to the truth. Satan himself is called the father of lies by Jesus in John 8:44. We're told that he is blind to the mind of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians verse 4. As hearts in this culture are given over more and more to sin, they fall deeper and deeper into deception. Paul shows this in Romans 1, where talking about a culture that has given itself over to its sin is given over by God. And he says in Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, there was this inward turn, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, their bodies uh, were, 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 were no longer significant, they were just thrown in any direction, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. A man-centered world that leaves God out of its thinking is a world that will be filled with deception, And you can count on that. Gender theory is one of those deceptions. It is a denial of both biblical and biological truth concerning who we are. And it really is a rebellion against God's creation order. So what is gender theory? Well, we could spend days talking about that. Let me just give a very simple heart of the concern this morning. Gender theory, I would say, is the lie that we can separate the reality of biological sex from a person's true gender. It separates the biology that we announce at birth, it's a boy, it's a girl, from the gender that a person can claim. It splits the body away from the person themselves. And then we're told that only the person themselves can know for sure what their gender is. In the book, The Gender Fairy, which I do not recommend... It's a book that's used to teach young children this, as as young as elementary school, even kindergarten. And in that book it says, only you can know whether you're a boy or a girl. No one else can tell you. Sadly, there are lots of books out there today that teach this same kind of thing. And so you end up with someone born with a male body who then comes to believe that he is in fact a woman. We've seen many examples of that in our culture. And they'll say to you, My gender does not correspond to the sex I was assigned at birth. A couple of things about that. First, your sex was not assigned at birth, it was revealed at birth. In other words, it's not arbitrary. Your doctor didn't just roll the dice and say, well, let's let's make something up and put it on the birth certificate. He looked at the biological markers. Do I need to go further? And he knew immediately the gender that God had given you. Somebody says, well, what about intersex children? Those born without clear sexual markers due to a birth defect. But of course, that's the exception that proves the rule, isn't it? When that happens, we look at that, and though we have compassion, we understand immediately that there's a problem here. Something has gone wrong. Just like... A child born without arms does not create a new subspecies of human being. right? So now we have armed humans and non-armed humans. So a birth defect does not create a third gender. Both are evidence of physical brokenness in this fallen world. Again, Kevin DeYoung says, The anomaly of intersex individuals does not undermine the creational design, but rather gives another example of creational groaning, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. This is the reality of a fallen world. Likewise, the eunuchs in Matthew 19, sometimes transgender activists will say, look at the eunuchs, there's a third sex, but they do not refer to a sexless person, but to a man who was either born without the ability to procreate or who had been castrated for the purpose of the royal court. Eunuchs are not a third gender, they are in fact men whose bodies have been broken either by birth or by others. And by the way, most intersex individuals do not want to be lumped in with the transgender movement. The the main organization that represents intersex individuals in the world has said, keep us out of this. Um, That's not our fight. But in a broken world, there will be people whose sense of self is so out of sync with the truth of their bodies that they really do struggle. Gender dysphoria, as it's called, is the feeling that I don't... Fit my body. It is a real psychological issue that creates real suffering. And wherever there is, we meet, whenever we meet someone who is suffering in any way, we need to have compassion on that individual. Again, never lose sight of the fact that every sinner sufferer you meet is a broken image bearer in need of Christ. But here's the question we need to distinguish between the activists who promote the lies of gender theory to the harm of many and the sufferers who've been deceived by them. We want to be ready to offer hope and gospel truth to sufferers while we vigorously oppose uh, the lies of deceivers. Because again, here's the big question we have to wrestle with. What does real hope and help look like in this case? Many today especially in this country, claim that the way to help is to prop up the delusion. To say your mind and your body are out of sync, let's change your body to fit your mind. Uh, let's give you life-altering hormones. Let's schedule surgery. It is interesting, though, that when someone is suffering from a, a different kind of malady, like anorexia, or bulimia we don't say let's quickly schedule surgery let's give you diet pills let's do liposuction we say the problem is that the mind is not seeing the body correctly we as Christians understand or we should understand that those approaches are not actually helping the problem is not that God gave you the wrong body the problem is that Satan has deceived the view of yourself that you hold in your mind It is not compassion to to confirm someone in a lie that moves them further and further away from God's good design. The loving thing is not to affirm them in lies, but to help them embrace God's truth as He has revealed it. In fact, we harm people... When we affirm them in a self-made identity that stands in opposition to God's good gifts and ends up driving them even further and further from the blessings He intends, even deeper into unreality. And reality really is the issue. If what you assume to be true is in fact not true and you build your life around that untruth, there are consequences. If I assume that two can equal five or seven based on how I feel about it, then I go do my calculations to build a bridge. I'm going to build, I'm going to come to some really faulty conclusions, and what I build will end very tragically. Just as the British national health system has recently begun to acknowledge as it's begun to reevaluate its treatment of teens and adolescents who struggle with gender identity because they realize they're doing more harm than good. A satanic delusion that pits you against God's good design as seen in His Word and revealed in your body, that is never a path to blessing. It is instead a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So that third, gender theory promotes the lie of a Gnostic view of the body as something that really just doesn't matter. At the heart of the ancient lie of Gnosticism was a repudiation of the importance of the body. For ancient Gnostics, the body was worthless material stuff. It just didn't matter. What mattered was the pure inner self which longed to be free from such worthless material considerations. For modern Gnostics, the body has no relevance for who they are as persons. Biological sex doesn't matter. What matters are the inner feelings So to be a whole person, we need to be freed from the constraints of the body. As Nancy Piercy points out in her excellent book, I highly recommend, Love Thy Body. This results in a profound disrespect of the body as made by God. It becomes something disposable, something uh, that's just so much material to be reworked at my will. Something that is subject to my whims and, and my feelings, but not part of who I actually am. Just the meat skeleton you're born with, as one transgender activist put it. The Bible didn't do that. It doesn't treat the Bible as worthless or disposable, but as part of God's good gift. Psalm 139:13 and 14, where David is considering how God made him in his mother's womb and speaking specifically about the body. He says, For you formed my inward part. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it full well. The body is not something indifferent to who you are as made by God. It is part of who you are. It is part of your identity. And when Christ raises you from the dead, it's not going to be a disembodied spirit floating around. It's going to be with a body, physical, much like the one you have now but perfected and much like the one Christ dwells in now and you will dwell in that body forever and ever. And so forth, gender activists then offer a false hope to hurting people that cannot give the salvation they crave. Some have begun to talk about it as a false religion, and in many ways it is. And this is especially true of confused young people where large numbers today struggle with identity issues because of the brokenness all around us. We live in a culture that, that feeds confusion through social media and tells them... Hey, you know, this could be your fix. That anxiety that you're having, those feelings of not fitting in, well, it could just be that you're transgender. And so the good news, they say, is that you can change who you are. You can be reborn into a new identity. You can have a fresh start. I can't tell you the testimonies I've read over the last month of people who've been down that road and found it a tragic conclusion, of parents who've watched feeling helpless as, 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 as their, their children began to go down this road, sometimes in numbers together. I told you before how I had a man in my office a few months ago who came in. I'd known him as a man. He was now presenting as a woman. And the more we talked, the more it became obvious. He got here because he was so miserable, um, based on abuse and things he'd suffered as a young man, that this was his hope at regeneration, at being reborn. He thought he was convinced that this would help, but obviously it hadn't helped. That's why he was in my office. He was broken. And my heart went out to him. My heart broke. I mean, think about the brokenness. Looking in the mirror and seeing what you see there as alien and wrong, and you're, you're so broken by that. And so the third thing I want us to think about then, really what I wanted to get to is today, is this. We must help our children and other sufferers embrace the reality and joy of God's good gift in their gender and point them to Christ. And listen, parents, this morning, don't just assume that because they're in your home, your kids are going to get this. There are those who intentionally and purposefully seek to introduce these false ideas to children. I mean, look up on the Internet the gender unicorn or the gender-bred man. Uh, Both of these are used in some school systems. Uh, Thankfully, I don't know of any in our area, but more like in California and places, uh, to promote this idea that that the gender and the birth sex are different things and these children must decide which they are, which is a heavy weight, a cruel weight to place on the back of anyone, let alone a child. But there's an intentionality in some circles and we must likewise be intentional and purposeful in helping our children embrace and love God's truth. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, speaking to us, and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And so our remaining time, let's look at five things that you can do to help your kids love and embrace the truth. Five things. First, parents and others, teach them God's good design that men and women are made in God's image to live for His glory. Teach them His good design. Talk about these things. That's Deuteronomy 6 would encourage us. Engage your kids in conversations about how men and women are different, but equally valuable. Dads, affirm for your daughters and your sons too, but affirm for your daughters those things that are beautiful about your wife's femininity that you love. Those things that are her strengths, where she has strengths that differ from yours because she is a woman. And moms do the same. Help your kids see what a wonderful gift each sex is and how each uniquely equips us to reflect God's glory. Teach them that. Model it for them. Celebrate it. Pray it at a birthday party. Your hands on your kid or however you celebrate it. Say, Lord, I thank You that You made Julie a a girl. I thank You for the Beauty of that gift to her and how wonderful it is and how you're going to use her because of this good gift as she begins to trust in you. Pray these things. Ask God to help you do this well. Second, help them understand that confusing times will come as they grow into adulthood, but these don't define them. One thing that some activists prey on is this feeling of discomfort that kids experience with their bodies as puberty approaches. That is a real critical moment. You don't don't feel comfortable with your body? Well, maybe you're in the wrong body. And kids believe it. Some of them do because they don't understand that this feeling of discomfort is a normal part of growing up. I mean, do you remember that, adults? Do you remember that? Do a little survey. How many of you hit a place at some point when you were young where you just really did not like yourself? I mean, you really did not like yourself. You didn't feel comfortable in your body. You felt out of sorts with it. Things were changing so fast and you weren't quite sure it was going to be alright. And some children experience that at very young ages. Your kids need to know that's part of the process. It's normal. It doesn't mean you're a boy trapped in a girl's body. It means you're growing toward maturity. In fact, studies have shown that 80 to 90% of children will experience some level of gender incongruence as they grow up. But here's the really good news. 90 to 95% of those who do struggle with gender incongruity will grow out of it if nature is allowed to take its course and puberty ensues. That's why the last thing they need at that critical moment is to introduce hormones and puberty blockers which derails the whole process and ultimately leads to all kinds of consequences. In Britain, in fact, a matter of just months ago, they announced that the National Health Service, a major clinic for adolescents dealing with these kinds of issues, a clinic known as Tavistock, was to be shut down simply because the government came to the conclusion that it could well be causing more harm than good in the lives of children and teenagers treated at that clinic for these very issues. It's been forced, in fact, to acknowledge in their own words that for the vast majority of children, confusion is a transient phase. And yet we have some, this is not political, it's just fact, including our own president, who would say we should give hormones and surgery. Third, help your kids avoid rigid cultural stereotypes about what it means to be a man or a woman. Teach the truth the Bible teaches about maleness and femaleness and how wonderful it is. But beware of unbiblical stereotypes. Unbiblical gender stereotypes are one of the things that are used to push kids into gender confusion. What do I mean by that? Well, this idea that all men are rough and tough and love sports and wrestling... You know, real men go hunting. Nobody say amen. But that's fine if that's who you are and who God made you. you got a son who loves to hunt. Praise God. That's how God designed him. But what if your son loves art and music and he's really good at dance? Is he less a man? Or that girls have to wear pink and play with dolls. And that's beautiful if that's who she is. But what if your daughter likes to play ball and climb trees and wear jeans rather than dresses? Is she less of a girl? See, who we are as male and female is fixed by God. It doesn't change. It's it's who He made us biologically, but how we express that can have a lot of variation. There's a big difference, for example, between Queen Esther in the Bible, this woman uh, who became queen because of her beauty and femininity, as they saw it, and Deborah, the prophetess and judge, who helps win a critical battle. Or think of Jacob and Esau. Genesis 25-27, as it describes these two boys who were twins, it says when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. But here's the thing. Both were men as designed by God. And so, yes, it is good to be a man's man who loves to hunt and fish and lift weights, but it's also good to be a quiet man who likes to read and create beauty and maybe even cook. Both, well, we have a chef. We have chefs, right? Both can be godly expressions of biblical manhood. And our kids need to know that. They need to have that affirmed. It's good to be a girly girl who likes all things frilly and pink, but it's also good to be a girl who plays sports or rides a motorcycle or likes to hunt. And we need to teach our daughters that both can be beautiful expressions of femininity. I mean, come on, you guys know my wife. She's always loved sports. She has never been a fan of dresses. It's a miracle that we got her in a wedding gown. And I want you to know I love her brand of femininity. I find it attractive. Is that okay? And I also find the other kind of attractive. I've got two girls who love dresses and are not necessarily big fans of sports. Both are feminine. You see, the reason this matters is because in a confused world, false stereotypes can be used to drive kids into false sexuality. One more example. For girls today especially, this sexualized culture of ours uh, can be truly devastating. And you need to pray for young girls growing up today. In many circles out there and in many public schools, uh, but also other places, girls are expected to be hot, to dress like porn stars. That's how they get attention. That's how they win uh, popularity. And the pressure is relentless. What if she's not built like that? What if she doesn't fit that model? What if she's just not willing to give in to that nonsense, as I would pray all of our girls would be? Unwilling. Well, in many places, they find themselves ridiculed, dismissed as ugly on social media, labeled as lesbian, and some who don't have a good support system simply give up. And they conclude, I don't have what it takes to be a girl. And someone comes along and says, You don't have to be a girl. And for a hurting teen, that false gospel really sounds attractive. Same thing for the boy who doesn't fit the mold of the jock or the alpha male. And so he's ridiculed and bullied. I don't think I want to be a man. Or one that I've seen show up in a lot of testimonies of those who became transgender and then detransitioned. They were abused, like my friend that I mentioned. They were abused by a man. The only men they've ever known were men who abuse. And they come to the conclusion, I don't want to be that. And the mind can powerfully affect the view of things. So we need to help them see through the lie of all such stereotypes so they can embrace the truth of God's good creation. Fourth, a couple more things and we're done. Parents, be aware of who your kids are listening to. That is so important. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Don't be deceived, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Who's engaging your kids online? Are you on top of that? Who are they listening to? What videos are they watching when you're not watching? Do they have TikTok? Listen, if you're not aware of it, that is a cesspool of activism right now. I would, I would kill that thing so fast. In fact, it's part of what is feeding the phenomenon of, of what's called rapid onset gender dysphoria. Look it up, where you, you have groups, especially girls, right, who, who decide together that they must be trans, uh, transgender and they begin the process together. It's in fact one of the articles that I mentioned in the Pastor's Word covers that. Pay attention to your child's peer group, and if stay engaged with them. If they're in public school, pay attention to the school's policies and curriculum. Because you see, this is not something that you want to have sneak up on you. Stay engaged. More than anything else, that's what will help. Stay in your kids' lives. Let them know that you're in their corner and you love them. In church, we do the same. Uh, we, we all need to be affirming and helping our kids see the value of who they've been created by God to be as they turn to Christ. Fifth, final thing, and there are so many more we could have looked at. Keep the hope of the Gospel in front of them. First 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Your kids need to know that they are sinners in need of a Savior. They're sinners who can be deceived and will be deceived by Satan. But there is a Savior from the deceiver. And you, parents, need to remember they are sinners who can be deceived and that they need a Savior. And most important, they need to know that the Savior is near. That when they blow it, and oh, they will blow it, they are loved. First by Him, also by you. They need to hear that. They probably need to hear it even more when they've disappointed you or they've taken a track that you're unsure of. They need to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is hope and help in Christ for every soul in distress. One of the, wasn't this issue at all, but one of the most important moments. In fact, I remember moments like these with both my daughters, but I'm thinking about uh, one in particular where there was a period of rebellion, where, the, where, where we were struggling, and God just gave me. Didn't expect that, sorry. I was angry, I was frustrated to put my arms around her and say, I love you, it's never going to change. I'm hurt, I'm angry, but I love you. There's nothing you can do to change that. And she needed to know that. And that's where I want to end us today. If, If you're here this morning, you're struggling with any of these things we've talked about and nobody knows, or at least nobody here, I want you to know you can come to me, you can come to Kyle, you can come to Warren, many others in this room, but, but I'm going to speak for ourselves here. We are not going to ridicule you. Oh gosh, we need to not ridicule. We're going to love you. We're going to listen to you. You see, I've never met anyone who struggled with gender identity whose life was not touched with deep pain. And I want you to know that Jesus knows your pain. Jesus understands your struggle. He came for those who suffer and are in need. And there is help for you in Christ. Help is not found in forcing your body to fit some idea you or someone else has for it. It's not going to help. It's not going to fix it. Hope is found in bringing your whole self, mind and body to Christ for healing. He can bring broken things back together you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And When you begin to trust in Him, here's what begins to happen. First, He'll give you a new identity. That old you broken by sin, that old you bound in sin gets put in the grave. Romans 6 promises. And you are raised with Him to begin a new life as a child of God. Second, He'll teach you to die to your old self and all that held on to it. Matthew 16:24. You don't have to be controlled by those old sins and those old feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness and helplessness, because you're his now. You're a new man in Christ. You're a new woman in Christ. old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Third, he'll begin the process of renewing your mind on Scripture. Romans 12:2 He'll give you truth. He'll teach you how to think differently as you begin to see the world as it really is, not as it has been clouded by sin. And fourth, he'll give you a new and eternal life as you walk with him. A new man, a new woman in fellowship with Christ, in fellowship through the Holy Spirit, in fellowship with his church who, if it's a good church, and I pray that we are, will also love you and support you as you seek to follow Him. See, that's the good news the Gospel brings to sinners and sufferers alike who trust in Him. And my prayer is that we'll be a place where they can find help and hope, where they can find truth. We'll be patient. Somebody walks in here... Uh, this is a true story. You, you, you can look it up or maybe I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. World Magazine did this article and the guy's written a book since then where God began to he'd transitioned to a female. God began to deal with him. He, he began to realize this hadn't helped. He began to want help but he was still presenting with the dress and the, and the, and the makeup. The first church he went to told him to leave. And I'm here to get help. They said, we don't want you here. The next church he went to thankfully said, okay, we're going to love you. You need to understand who God has made you. You need to let us walk with you. You need to let us take you through Scripture. You need to let us show you the truth of this gift. And that man today, walking with Jesus as the man God made him. God can do that. And we need with love and patience and kindness do that. Yes, oppose the false teaching. Or oppose it vigorously because it's harmful. But speak truth and love to the hurting. Lord, help us to do that. Father, Your Gospel is the answer to our brokenness. Your Gospel is the answer to this and every other brokenness the man can come up with. Your Gospel is what we need. Lord, help us to think truly, to act compassionately, but to hold fast to Your truth and love. And Lord, for anyone in this room who is struggling with this, and Lord, any other sin that will bring harm, because every sin brings harm, would You let them see that Jesus has open arms to redeem the fallen who repent and believe and to give life where the devil would bring only death. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.